And welcome to Check the Pantry, coming to you from the KBBI studios in beautiful downtown Homer, Alaska. Each week, we consider one ingredient in many contexts. Today, we're talking about lemons. My name is Jeff Lockwood. My guest for this show is Adrian Huff, kitchen manager at Alice's Champagne Palace. And it's time to Check the Pantry. It's easy now when you can go to the store and get any combination of flavors you want for cheap to forget that even the simplest of foods were once not so easy to find. You need salt? Hopefully you live on the coast or near a salt deposit. Otherwise, you're stuck trading for it somewhere, maybe not even in crystal form. Maybe the only salt you can get is in salt meat or salt fish. Maybe you don't like salt meat or salt fish. Tough. You want sugar? Hope your local fruit is in season. Hope you live in an area where sugarcane grows. Maybe you can get some at one of the markets if you want to spend a day or two searching. Maybe it won't be mixed with sawdust or chalk. Need some acid? Get to fermenting. Hope you have some salt to pickle some vegetables or enough fruit to make alcohol to make vinegar from. Sit tight though. It's going to take a while. Oh, what's that pretty yellow thing? A lemon? And it's full of acid and easily transportable? It keeps pretty well. It's in season in the winter when almost nothing else is. It helps to preserve other foods while also being easily preserved itself. It makes practically everything taste a little perkier and brighter. Well, hey, let's plant those wherever they'll grow. And that's how citrus limon spread from the northeastern corner of India across the sunny and warm regions of the world and gained a prominent place in the hothouses of the wealthy in more northern climes. It's hard from our perspective to grasp just how magical an easy source of acid really is. When I was a kid, every year I would get an orange in my Christmas stocking. This was in the 1980s, so an orange was just an ordinary supermarket fruit. It mostly took up valuable space that to six-year-old me would have been much better devoted to another G.I. Joe or something. But when my parents were kids in the rural south, an orange in the middle of winter was a big deal. Citrus was the only fresh fruit available to most people in the winter, and the sunshine-bright flavor of citric acid was nearly miraculous in the unvarying winter dinner table of salted meat, the common local grain, and canned vegetables. Ever wondered why a slice of lemon almost always accompanies a piece of fish? It's not merely that the flavors complement each other, though they do. The acid in the lemon reacts with amines that are a byproduct of decomposition of amino acids in muscle. Fish is the most perishable of animal flesh and quickly begins to give off detectable levels of a characteristic ammonia aroma, the fishy smell so many fish haters hate. Acidic lemon juice neutralizes basic amines, which converts them into non-aromatic ammonium salts, and like magic, the fishy smell is gone. Up to a point, of course. 
you can see the advantages in days before the development of the cold chain of refrigeration. And citric acid is famously useful on long ocean voyages to counteract scurvy. British sailors may have been called limeys, but the barrels on board the ships of the Royal Navy contained many more lemons than limes. A world without lemons is a sadder, grayer, fishier, bleeding, gummier place. But in our own jaded times when they're just another pile in a supermarket produce section and we need more exotic citrus to satisfy our desire for novelty, they can be taken for granted. So today, let's celebrate the ordinary, extraordinary lemon. That's right. My name is Jeff Lockwood, and we're here to talk about lemons with my guest this week, Adrian Huff from Alice's. Adrian, good morning. Oh, good morning, Jeff. It is so nice to have you here. I'm really excited uh, because lemons are like the classic winter fruit. They're in season now, and, and it's so gray, and it's so dark, and it's so cloudy, and just endless, endless darkness. But then you bite into a lemon... And it's like you're in the Mediterranean. Yeah, it's a uh, it's warming to see when you walk in, and the first thing is that bright yellow, just full stand of lemons. But I do, as you stated, look past them sometimes. I mean, I use them in everything day to day, and I don't notice how much they actually affect everything that I'm working with. Uh, they're they're kind of an amazing thing, you know. Not only is there the the lemon flavor, but they're they're also super acidic, you know. And they've got so you get juice. And you get zest. And these are two of like the most useful things that you can possibly have. Lemon juice is like natural vinegar. You know, it's amazing for um, giving things, you know, just a, a little spritz of acid, you know, even like uh, something like a, a potato salad or a grain salad that would be dull and sort of bland, you know. Yeah, gives it that little extra zing. But it doesn't taste like a lemon necessarily. But if you throw in some zest. Then you get the full effect. Zest is where I take my time. Zest is needed in a lot of baking, a lot of desserts. Um, you can add lemon juice to a lemon cake, no zest, and it's just bitter. Yeah. You'll feel it on the tongue. When you add zest, it's that full flavor. What, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite zesting tool? Because I know, uh, you know, the old school zesters are the ones that they look like brass knuckles, the little round things on them. Oh, I have don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you do because you were using. Well, they don't look like a full size pair of brass knuckles, but you know the small one oh, with the gotcha. little circles yeah. on the top, the miniature one. And then it has the it has the the little thing that you use to to cut uh, for making uh, twists, you know, for martinis. Yeah, like a little channel knife. But nowadays, but, everybody uses microplanes. Yep. And they're the greatest. They are, unless you like your knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they they make the 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 little tiny curved ones now too, that you don't have to worry about hitting your knuckles on. I should probably invest in one of those. <laughs> Do you bark your knuckles a lot on your microplane? I try not to. I mean, especially, I wear gloves, so there's a little layer. I convince myself that I won't catch my hand as much. <laughs> so I, I actually, this is this is very relevant because I was just, today I was, I always, every time I zest lemons, I, I look at this pile of lemons, at, of rinds, you know, and I'm like, what are you, what can you possibly do with these? Just today while I was looking up stuff while I was trying to get myself in a lemony zone. It turns out that if you put approximately the same weight of sugar that you have in lemon rinds 
and nothing else, no water, no nothing else. You just let them soak like basically overnight. All the leftover essential oils and juices in the lemons will migrate into the sugar and it will make an intensely flavored lemon syrup that you can then use for like anything. And this is blowing my mind. Now, in theory, well, I I should say I haven't actually done this. I have not tried it. But it was a very reliable source. It was if you if you've ever read the website Serious Eats, that's where I was reading this okay. from. And those guys generally when they're when they're talking about something, it works. So I'm very excited to go home and try this because I always feel so wasteful when I get done zesting a bunch of lemons. Yeah, unless I'm going to roast something and I can just throw it in there with the roast, help break down the protein a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's just a big pile that I look at kind of sad. I know. And who's going to who's going to roast a chicken just to use up some lemon rinds? Yeah. I would. (laughs) (laughs) But lemons have uses in the kitchen far beyond just lemon flavor. It's a great cleaning product, but it can also be used to make cheese. So real Italian ricotta is made with leftover whey from the cheese making process, but it's easy to make a ricotta-like cheese using whole milk and lemon juice. And I thought it'd be fun to make a three-course meal using lemon in every course. And I decided to start my dinner with ricotta gnocchi also known as nudie. I have got a pot of milk heating up. This is about a half a gallon of milk, and we're going to be making, well, we're going to call it ricotta. Technically, what we're making here is not ricotta. We could call this cottage cheese. We could call this actually paneer. The Indian fresh cheese is made exactly the same way with exactly the same ingredients. Uh, Queso blanco. The Mexican fresh cheese also made the same way. The difference between ricotta and those, like a cottage cheese or a paneer or a queso blanco, is that there's two milk proteins. There's casein and there's whey. And all of the traditional cheeses that we know, cheddars, Swisses, you know, breeze, whatever, those are all made with casein. And what they use, the, the cheese is acidulated, but... You also use an enzyme called rennet. And what rennet does is rennet coagulates the casein proteins specifically. And they separate out the whey. So you get your curds and you get your whey. And whey is the water and the whey proteins. So ricotta, which in Italian means recooked, is actually a byproduct of the making of a casein cheese. But a whole milk, pure acid, no rennet cheese is basically the simplest cheese that you can possibly make. They don't require a lot of special ingredients. All this takes is milk and acid. And in our case, this being the lemon episode, we're going to use lemon juice. Now you can also use vinegar. Lemon juice is gonna give it a slight little lemon flavor. And being that we're in the middle of making a nice three course winter menu that's supposed to make us feel citrusy and bright, a little lemon kick is appropriate. So I have a pot full of a half a gallon of milk. I have a lemon. Right about a tablespoon-ish per quart is kind of what you want. Too much more than that and you get like kind of a little too strong lemony flavor. Uh, Too little and you don't get as good a yield. I also have a thermometer. I am heating my milk. You heat your milk before you add the acid to it. And I am heating it to right about 175 degrees, 175, 180, something like that. And the whole process is to heat it to that, squeeze the acid in, give it a little bit of a stir, and then let it sit. 
let it cook for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and that will maximize the yield and it'll give it kind of the characteristic flavor of being slightly cooked. It's, it's just a little dimension. If you don't give it that time, it's a little bland. Then we'll pull it out with a strainer, let it drain a little bit, and then you could use cheesecloth, obviously, uh, because that's what cheesecloth is made for, is draining cheese. I happen to have a filtration bag that's uh, it's like some sort of plastic polyester material really really fine and it's reusable since the reason that i'm making this is for ricotta gnocchi i'm gonna let it drain overnight and i'm going to take a can and wrap the can in plastic wrap let's see what i got in there i think i got some enchilada sauce and uh, i'm gonna wrap the can in plastic wrap and uh let it press in the fridge overnight and it'll press all the way out or more way out than it would if it was uh unweighted tomorrow when i come back I should have a nice dry ricotta, fresh cottage cheese ready to make gnocchi with. So I've got my ricotta made and now I'm going to make my actual gnocchi with it. So the first thing that I'm going to do, I've got my ricotta crumbled up. Now the thing is it's a little, it's pretty dry, which is good because we don't want a ton of water because water, water in gnocchi makes it tough because of it activates the gluten. And there's a few different ways that we're gonna counteract this. One is I'm gonna use pastry flour, which is a little soft, but we're almost going to completely avoid the potential for it to become tough. We don't wanna be chewing on this, we want it to be soft. So I'm going to get an egg yolk. And if I don't add this, it, this isn't 100% necessary. It just makes it a little less likely that the gnocchi or the nudie, I guess, will uh, fall apart. So I'm mashing the yolk in my ricotta. Now it's a real pale yellow. It's a little sticky, but it's not overly wet. A lot of the moisture in this now is fat. So now I got my pastry flour and I'm just gonna start with a little bit of it. I'm not gonna knead it. What I'm gonna do is I'm cutting it in with a pastry cutter. And by cutting it in like this, and by not kneading it, you're minimizing gluten development. That was a quarter cup of flour to maybe a cup and a half of ricotta. Once I get it fairly well cut in, then I can start to knead just a little bit because all I want is I want, I want the mass to just, just hang together. It's now kind of a solid mass. It's still pretty crumbly, but as I work it, it becomes a little less so. If I roll it, I can definitely form a distinct dumpling that has some solidity to it, but that's not heavy and it's not tough and I don't think it'll be chewy when I go to actually boil it. So I'm gonna cut this into three little segments. And I'm going to gently roll this out. I'm rolling it out into, I'm going to say these are about a half inch across. And once I get a nice rope, then I'm going to come through. And I'm going to cut these guys with my bench scraper. Roughly one inch. Go right on a little half sheet pan that I got here. From this point, once I get these all rolled out, I have two options. 
one option is if I'm going to use these tonight, which I am, I can hold them in the fridge. If I'm not going to use these tonight, even if I'm going to make them tomorrow or if I want to, or if I've made a big batch, you know, you might, you might say, Hey, it's easier to make a whole gallon of ricotta. If you do that, then you can make a big batch of uh, ricotta gnocchi. You can throw them on a sheet pan and you can throw them right in the freezer. And once they're individually frozen, you know, you want to do it on a, on a piece of parchment paper so you can actually get them up. Once they're frozen, you can put them in a Ziploc bag and you can cook them anytime directly in boiling water. They take a little bit longer than from fresh, but only like a minute or two. You can have ricotta gnocchi anytime you want. So that took basically no time at all. At this point, all the hard work's done. So with our gnocchi, what I'm going to do is I'm going to boil the water, heavily salt it, cook the gnocchi until they float. It doesn't take very long at all. When you throw them in the water, they sink. Then they'll pop up when they're done, which with these guys, like a minute or two. And then I'm going to pull them out. So for these guys, I'm going to do a real simple sauce. It's going to be brown butter, spinach, a little ham, and some black pepper and some pecorino romano. I'm gonna have my gnocchi. We'll go into the pot of boiling water, heat up the brown butter, not very much, just a little bit that I've previously browned. As soon as the gnocchi's done, I'll pull it out of the boiling water, throw it in the pan just to get it just starting to brown on the outside, throw in a little spinach just to wilt it real quick, and then throw in my little chunks of ham, diced real fine, let them saute for just a minute just to get everything warmed through and to get the the uh, spinach wilted and to get the gnocchi browning. Then I'll dump it all out on a plate. I'll give it a ton of black pepper and a little sprinkling of Pecorino Romano. And I will have a magnificent little first course for my three course lemon meal. I have to say it was, it was super delicious. <laughs> and now it's got me thinking because I have for strange reasons i have like a gallon and a half of milk and i don't really drink milk but i have a gallon and a half of milk in my refrigerator and now i'm like man i should go i should ma just make more make some more and yeah. it's, it's super easy and and really really delicious so let's talk a little bit about savory cooking with lemon so the obvious thing to do with it is fish and lemon but i mean i don't think we can sit here and talk for 10 minutes about hey slice up some lemon and then serve it with some fish uh we could go over and papillot that's my favorite oh well talk about it just take your salmon put it in some parchment lemon lemon juice roll up that parchment make it a little heart shape half heart shape and then pop it in the oven i mean you're right when you talked about it taking away the fish smell and it breaking it down a little bit of those proteins. It comes off so soft, but it has that little citrus bite. Well, and the great thing about um, doing um, papillot is that it, you're almost like you're steaming it, you know, and, and, and I am personally, I have one of my pet peeves in fish cooking is that so many people like to cook their fish over high heat. Oh. And I don't think it's the best way to cook fish. No. I love steamed fish, and it's weird, but it's because it's in its own juices the whole time. You get that effect when you open your empapillata. It's just you can see the steam. You can smell it. It's good. Well, yeah. fish is so delicate that it, it works all right if you cook it over high heat and there's a breading around it or if, if you cook it with its skin over the heat. You know, that kind of protects it. And I actually don't mind it if you run it under a broiler because it's so intensely hot. 
mm-hmm. but fish alone, you know, if it, it kind of competes with those brown flavors. So un papillot is a great way to do it. You know, the other the other thing that I love, I want to talk about vinaigrette because I guess technically, if you made a if you make your vinaigrette with lemon juice, it's not technically a vinaigrette. It becomes yeah. what a citronette. Maybe a limonette. Yeah, there you go. It's no longer a vinaigrette. Vinaigrettes are basically my favorite sauce for fish. The other thing that they're that they're great to have in your repertoire is because I don't know if you've ever tried to pair wine with salads. No. It's pretty hard. Yeah. And the reason it's hard is because most salads, most people use a vinaigrette. It's just a full front flavor of. Well, you know, there's a saying in there's a saying in France. I forget uh, I forget exactly how they phrase it, but they basically say you should never serve wine and vinegar in the same course because vinegar is the disreputable cousin of wine. Ooh. And so they don't they shouldn't be at the same table. Is yeah. kind of how they is kind of how they put it. But lemon juice, because it's a softer acid, because it's not so harsh as vinegar. It can work in, say, a salad or on a fish course where you're trying to serve a white wine that's also going to be a little bit more delicate because it doesn't clash with the vinegar. And it's great for that. Now, what what uh, what ratio do you like for your vinaigrette? For a lemon vinaigrette? For any, well, for a lemon vinaigrette or for three to one's the classic, right? Yeah. But um, with lemon juice, I, I always tend to add more. Yeah. Like a, like a champagne vinaigrette. And it's, I do have a little champagne vinegar in there right but besides that it's mostly just lemon juice and it takes a lot of lemon juice i'm like you with a with a lemon vinaigrette i like two to one um because it allows the character of the vinegar or you know whatever the acid is to come through more a three to one which is the classic or even a four to one those are thicker and they're going to be richer tasting and like kind of more oily which works in certain circumstances but in particularly in a fish situation and particularly when we when you're using lemon juice it's it's better to let the lemon juice itself come through a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. So, what other savory dishes do you like? Do you like lemon on? Because we're we're about to cook a, one of the classic savory lemon dishes. Yes. But chicken. Chicken's just my go-to. And how do you like how do you like to to serve your chicken with lemons? Stuff it with lemons. Rub it down with lemon zest. Whole lemons are are or I'll a, stuff them with the. So you use the whole lemon like. Make sure you get your lemon zest off first. Go ahead and get, don't get any of the pith. Go ahead and get as much as possible. Break it down, juice it. Toss that juice on it. And then some thyme, because thyme's my favorite. And then stuff the leftover lemons in the chicken. Nice. Yeah. Super basic, but I love it. It comes out juicy every time. You don't have, it's a no fuss item. The other classic lemon sauce is, of course, hollandaise. Mmm, hollandaise. How do you like to make your hollandaise? In a blender because... Oh, you're a blender hollandaise person. Yes. I used to be so against it. Um, when I went to culinary school, we had to make everything by hand. Right. So hollandaise hurt me. Mayonnaise hurt me. It was a lot of work. And then a couple of days before I graduated, one of my instructors was like, hey, by the way, you could have been making it in a blender the whole time. We never would have judged. <laughs> so I just but, but cut do you, all those. But do you really think it's as good? No. I mean, because I think it's more you have to take your time with doing it by hand. You're watching every amount and yeah, you're taking a lot of time See, whisking. I'm I'm also I'm also snobby about my hollandaise, but I actually I've discovered the particular food processor that I have comes with a little thing called a whipping disc. Ooh. And it's a it's a disc and it has a little a little slit in it basically. And in the in the manual they tell you it, it's supposed to be for uh 
for whipping cream. So I tried it for whipping cream and it's actually terrible for whipping cream. Oh. Well, I mean, it's great for whipping cream, but the trouble is it's so good that that when you're whipping cream, it goes from cream to butter. from whipped cream to butter in literally like a half a second. Ooh. You know, it's like all of a sudden it's curdled. And so I was like, well, this thing's useless and I'm never going to eat. And then I tried using it for egg whites once and uh, and it <laughs> and the meringues just killed it. Like yep. they just stopped, you know, it overheated and it was done. So I was like, well, this thing's useless and, and I tossed it aside. And then one day I was like making hollandaise and I was beating it and going, nah, you know, I'm beating a lot of air into these egg whites, beating, beating air, beat, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I started thinking mm-hmm. because, you know, if you use a blade in a food processor on hollandaise, it's never, it never gets the volume, you know, like it works and it right. makes something, it's good. Yeah. But when you know what a really good hollandaise that's like that's so fluffy. light and yeah, and it just kind of lands in big soft pillows on whatever you're putting it on you're like mm-hmm. wow food processor hollandaise is just not quite as good and then i did it in the whipping disc and it was perfect Ooh. it was unreal it was so fluffy and the nice thing about doing it that way is you can you can do your eggs and your lemon juice together and get them going and get them nice and frothy and then you can just heat your butter up to 158 which is the perfect temperature for hollandaise butter and mm-hmm. you dump it right in there Boom. Hollandaise made. I think we need to have a hollandaise off. I know. All of a sudden, I really want to make Benedict. Yes. (laughs) My blender hollandaise probably does not compare, but we need to see. And that actually, you know, the other other famous, well, there's mayonnaise and then there's aioli. Have you ever made aioli the traditional way? No. The old school way? No, because I made mayonnaise and that was enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) So you know what the traditional way is though, right? No eggs because garlic is enough of an emulsifier. But you have to make it in a mortar and pestle, oh. and it's a real pain. And it's you you uh, you put your garlic cloves in the bottom of the mortar and pestle, and you add your lemon juice and you pound those up. And then you have to sit there. It really does. It's a delicate procedure because yes. you add your oil, your olive oil, in a very very thin stream. Because this thing, like because there's no eggs, garlic will emulsify on its own, but it's not as good as eggs. Mm-hmm. Here's another little tip: if you ever make not just uh, aiolis but um vinaigrettes or anything where you think that the garlic flavor is too strong if you let your garlic sit in some lemon juice the lemon juice takes away the bitterness of the garlic oh and so then any any raw garlic that you want to use it's always a good idea to soak it in a little lemon juice first yeah that way you don't get that that hotness, you know, that almost too upfront garlic. Yeah, I like garlic, but I don't want to walk around like I'm going to knock somebody out. With right. It. Yeah, and that's what lemon juice lemon juice pulls that bitterness and that that superheated garlic uh, nature right out, and it just has to sit in there for just a couple minutes. Yesterday, with my big bag of uh, lemons that have that I bought for this show, I I had burned through all of them, making first the ricotta and then next my upcoming dish that we're about to hear about. And so I had all these lemons left and I was like, what do I do with them? Preserved lemons. Yeah, we were talking about this. I really want to try this. Oh, it's so easy. You can either, you can do the lemons whole. You just cut a a slit in them. But what I did, what I like to do is I juice them all. Uh, I juiced all my lemons and then stack them in a jar and sprinkle salt over every one of them. And then you let them sit for like a month and they ferment. And it's a classic North African ingredient. They wind up at the end, they taste just insanely lemony. You just use the whole peel as a garnish. Right. And it's like a super lemon, you know, like all that's left is like essential oils of lemon, but no, but no tartness, you know, it's just lemon flavor. And it's, it's really classic. to make you pucker. Exactly. 
It's a classic condiment for like uh, braised lamb dishes, braised lamb and uh, uh, chicken in tagines, which is like the number one dish of all of North Africa, but especially Morocco. Keeping with the savory theme, our three-course lemon-centered winter dinner needs a main. Lemon and chicken are a classic combination, so in thinking about a dish that would be both rich and tart, I hit on the old glorious chicken piccata. So we are going to be making for our main on our little three-course winter cheery dinner, we're going to be making chicken piccata. It's a really simple, really classic Italian dish. Sauteed chicken with a sauce made of butter, white wine, lemon, and capers. It's called piccata, which in Italian trans translates as uh, like piquant, you know, a little tart, a little perky. It's a real simple dish, simple enough for a weeknight, elegant enough for a dinner party. So let's get going. I'm gonna heat up my pan. I'm gonna throw in a pat of butter, just a tablespoon or so. I've got my chicken breast, which is what we use for this dish. It's cut very thin. You can even pound it out even thinner if you'd like. I, I didn't pound it because I cut it pretty thin. It's like a quarter inch, if that. I just dredged it quick through some seasoned flour. That'll give it just a little crispiness on the outside. You know, I don't really want like a breading. I don't need a crusty, crunchy coating. And the flour will also, some of it will sort of fall off and mingle with the butter. And that'll help make kind of a, it's not exactly a roux, but it's roux-ish. It'll help to thicken the sauce a little. So I got my pans nice and hot. So now I add my butter. I'm going to off the heat. Because I don't want my butter to burn. But you do want to start with a hot pan and cold oil, or as the Chinese say, a hot wok, cold oil, because that's, that's, that's the maxim for starting a stir fry. It helps the food not to stick. And it's the same thing when you're sauteing. The butter will foam up, and now the foam is starting to subside, and what I'm looking for is just when the butter starts to show some color, when it starts to brown just a little bit. And I can add my chicken. About medium-high heat right now. Always remember when you're sauteing with butter, never go full blast unless you're using clarified butter because butter burns really easily because it's made... Butter is actually an emulsion made up of water, butter fat, and milk solids. And the milk solids are the things that will burn. If you make clarified butter, they're the little bits that are left over. These guys, they're a real, real light brown. You know, there's, like I say, this isn't a breading and we're not pan frying. So all we're looking for is kind of a nice light golden brown, which is about all you're really gonna get by the time these guys are cooked through. Basically every time that I saute chicken breasts or do anything other than deep frying them, I want them to be this thin because that way by the time the uh, inside's cooked, the outside's not overdone. You know, chicken breasts, they're so easy to dry out and the only way to reliably cook them well, if you're not cooking them in a real slow oven or something, if you're gonna saute them, if you're gonna do them on a, under a high heat, they need to be thin. If they're not thin, they're gonna be gross. Okay, we're just about there. 
call that good. So now I have just a little bit of butter and a little bit of brown flour in the bottom of my pan, which is perfect. And now I'm gonna take some wine. That is right about a half a cup of Riesling, uh, just a real simple boxed Riesling. I really like uh, Riesling as a cooking wine because it's both got a lot of uh, acidity to it and most, uh, particularly American Rieslings, will have a fair amount of sweetness too. And that combination of sweetness and acidity is phenomenal in a sauce. There's a lot of good flavor in even a real cheap boxed Riesling, which is what this is. So I'm gonna let this reduce just a little bit. And after this, I'm going to add my lemons. And I'm gonna want a fairly lemony sauce. I have two lemons out, and honestly, I think two lemons is gonna work. Because I'm also gonna have a lot of butter. It's kind of notorious that one of the reasons that restaurant food tastes really good is because in a restaurant you use an obscene amount of butter. And I'm gonna use at least probably four tablespoons for this sauce. So I've got my wine that started out as probably a half a cup. Now it's down to, God, it's less than a quarter cup now. It's a real thick, thick sauce. And I've got a strainer and I've got two lemons. And I'm gonna strain my lemons real quick. I'm not over the heat right now. I'm just squeezing these lemons through a strainer to catch the seeds. And little small strainers are one of the handiest kitchen tools you can have. So now I'm just gonna heat my lemon juice up. I'm gonna let it reduce just a little bit, but I don't wanna cook it down too much because I still wanna have that fresh lemon flavor. You know, and if you cook it too long, then it kinda drives off some of the aromatics. And in the meantime, I'm going to cut some butter into little knobs. And this is, this is uh, cold butter because the final step in this sauce is, as they say, monter les beurre, mounting the butter. If you ever get a job in a restaurant and the chef tells you to mount the butter, this is what you're doing. I got a bunch of little chunks of butter and I am going to drop them into this pan off of the heat because once you add the butter, you do not want to allow the sauce to boil anymore because a boiling sauce will break the butter. So I've got my lemon juice just reduced just a tad. I'm gonna go ahead and kill the heat and I'm throwing in probably, like I said, about four tablespoons worth of butter. And all I'm doing is gently swirling. Now, if I let it cool down too much, I can put it back on the heat real briefly, you know, cause I don't want the sauce to be cold. I just added a considerable amount of butter. So I don't want the sauce to get cold. But what's happening is now as the butter slowly melts, it's emulsifying into the sauce so that now I've got this beautiful, rich, silky, simple pan sauce. Oh, it looks good. It smells delicious. It's thick. It's glossy. It's really, really pretty. So the last thing to do is to drop the capers in the sauce, warm up the capers just for a, just for a second. They don't take very long. And now I'm poured my sauce directly onto my uh, chicken and I'm serving it today. I could have made pasta, but I was feeling kind of lazy and I had some hunks of sourdough bread and I said, you know what this would go really well on is toast, sourdough toast. So this is going on sourdough toast and I'm going to crack a little pepper 
And I am going to take a little pinch of fleur de sel, which is a salt that is harvested from a certain area in France on the Atlantic coast, I believe. And it's a sea salt that they dry on shore in big beds that are specially made for this purpose. They dry it by the sun and it gets these nice little uh, sort of fluffy crystals. It's really good stuff. And that's all there is to it. Chicken piccata. It's made. And it was very delicious as well. That is uh, my wife's favorite dish. So she was very excited when I turned up at the house with a bunch of capers to make that. I got a, uh, I got a phone call from somebody who I was, I was peeping their Instagram the other day. You can follow us at Check the Pantry in, on Instagram if you would like. Frequent Check the Pantry guest and all-around Homer culinary legend Terry Robel uh, was making some limoncello. And I was wondering, Terry, how exactly did you do that? Good morning. First of all, I want to say chicken piccata is my favorite as well. And I also make it with halibut and cod. So as for limoncello, I got hooked on that um, both times I've been to Italy. And I just started a batch. I bought a bag of organic lemons. And I peeled them with my handy vegetable peeler. And I steeped them in a bottle of Everclear. You steeped the peels? Steeped the peels. You are, you're, it, so basically the zest is macerating in the alcohol, and it allows the oils to impregnate their flavors and aromas. And it hangs out there all happy for a month, so this happens. Then after that, you are going to strain it and filter it, and then you mix it with uh, purified water and sugar blend, basically a simple syrup, and you let it marry up for a couple weeks, and then you store it in the freezer to enjoy. You serve it in frozen little glasses, and it's traditionally known as a uh, digestivo, um, an after-dinner sort of sipping drink. Originally, it was made with Sorrento lemons from the Amalfi Coast of Italy. That sounds amazing. It's wonderful. It's fresh. It's light. It's it's. You don't want to drink too much of it because it's it's kind of um, sweet, and it's just the perfect little sipping liqueur to enjoy after dinner. Wow! Thank you so much for filling me in on how that's done. I've always I've seen it, but I've never I've never actually had it. And it's and the homemade, Jeff is is way better than what you can buy. I think the the purchased um, limoncello tastes kind of soapy. So there you go. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to have to go buy another bag of lemons now. Absolutely. Have <laughs> All a great right. time, you guys. All right, Terry. Thanks Bye. a lot. Bye. Man, that sounds awesome. That sounds so good. <laughs> Segway into what really, I know everybody's like, when's he going to talk about pie? Hello. The best part. <laughs> You said you know I was waiting for it, and I kind of uh, lied. I am. I know. I knew. I knew you were. So, so Adrian, please, please tell me about lemons in dessert. Lemon meringue pie, everyone's favorite. How do you make your custard? Because I've seen it. I've, some people use lemon curd, and I've tried to use that in a pie, and it never works for me because it's too soft. Yeah. Um, no, I do. So funny you ask. I do the same way that we made our pastry cream for the brown sugar segment with and some cornstarch. Yes. Yeah, that's how I've always done it too. Yep. 
it's delicious. I, I like it just because it sets up better. And when I think of lemon meringue pie or lemon pie in general, I want height. I want a lot of filling, a little crust because that's what I'm, yeah, that's so, what I'm in for. So do you make your, do you make your pastry cream with milk or do you use just lemon juice? Oh, milk. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see, still this need is... something to cut in. I still need, I don't like a full front lemon flavor in right. a dessert because it does make you pucker if you just use. Well, that's, and that's the difference when I make lemon meringue pie. My lemon meringue pie these days is not really the lemon meringue pie that I grew up with. And it's not that I don't like it. It's that nowadays when I make it, I still, it's, it, it's closer to lemon curd, but it, it has cornstarch in it to help it set up, mm-hmm. but I don't use milk. I just use lemon juice and it's super tart. Yeah. But it also means that you can't make like, if you, if you tried to serve somebody, if I tried to serve somebody a slice of my lemon meringue pie that I make these days, but I tried to serve like the amount that you would get at like a diner, you know, where the whole pie is like six Mile inches high, high pie. you wouldn't be able to finish it. Yeah. So I have to pretty much serve it in a tart shell with like a half inch of this intense lemon stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it also means you can't have the giant pile of meringue too. Right. There's days I wish I had the giant pile of meringue. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you use a French meringue or, you know, raw meringue or do you cook your meringue for your lemon meringue pie? Uh, it definitely depends. I do like the toasted meringue. So most of the time I'll go with just high peaks, plop it on top and pop it in the salamander real quick. Get that nice golden texture. When, when we were talking about doing the dessert, because I asked you to come up with a dessert for our three-course meal, and I was hoping that you were going to say lemon sorbet. And your first response was, in fact, lemon sorbet. And then your second was, well, what about lemon meringue pie? But I was like, no, no, no. no. Lemon sorbet. Yep. So we went into the kitchen at Alice's, and Adrian walked me through the process for making lemon sorbet. What are we doing? Oh, we're gonna make lemon sorbet. You're gonna need about eight lemons for a healthy portion. You're gonna use a simple syrup base, a whole bunch of zest, and a whole bunch of lemon juice. That's it. For a zester, there uh, I brought two different zesters just in case. So you could use the microplane, or you can do something a little fancier and get longer zest. I don't know the word for this one though. I just call it a I just call it a zester. For this, I like doing the majority of the lemons with the microplane and then doing one or two lemons with the other zester because they're thicker and wider and you want to keep some lemon zest in there so you know that it's lemon. Just do little strokes. You don't want to make like long garnishing ones. I'm also zesting very lightly because the only part you want is the yellow part. That's going to have the most bite to it. Once you get down to the pith, it's gross. It's got a lot of nutrients in it, but it doesn't add anything special. These are just generic lemons. I was considering going and finding Meyer lemons. They are sweeter. They're fleshier. They look more like an orange when you cut into them than a lemon. There's still like tang, but it's not like puckering your lips tang. It's that sweet little lemon taste. And it's the perfect time for them because they start selling around December. What I like about this recipe is you could use any citrus. One lemon gets a thicker zest for garnish. The other ones, they're all smooth now from the microplane. We're gonna cut them open and juice them into a strainer so we catch all the seeds. 
see how much juice we get so we have enough for the recipe and then we'll make our simple syrup. So since I have gloves, I'm not scared of squishing it by hand. But the easiest way I found to juice a lemon, if you don't want to sacrifice your hand to some stinging lemon juice, just take a fork, stick it in the center, and twist around as much as possible. It'll get every bit of juice out. But if you're a little stressy and you like using those stress balls, this is a perfect opportunity. I also love recipes like this because it's you're using almost as much of the lemon as you possibly can. Now, in a saucepan, I have two cups of sugar. I'm gonna take my whisk and two cups of water and cook it down. To make a simple syrup, you're just trying to melt the sugar and combine them together. So it's gonna take about five minutes. You don't want it to be an overreactive, bubbly, blowy, because melty sugar is super hot. It's gonna hurt. So keep it on low, medium low. Why I am going to add the lemon juice later and I'm just gonna make the simple syrup containing water and sugar right now. Now it's gonna look murky. As soon as the murkiness goes away, that's when you know you're making a simple syrup and it's coming together. You don't have to continuously stir, but you do wanna stir just to make sure everything's going accordingly. We're gonna be standing here about five to seven minutes. Just enough time to stir and reflect. Should I candy some zest? So to candy lemon zest, you're gonna want to zest up however big chunks you want. Make sure that they're big enough to where they are gonna have weight because you're gonna pop them in an oven at one point. So make sure you have weighted paper, parchment, something lined in your baking sheet. Go ahead and get some sugar and your lemon zest and toss your lemon zest in a fine amount of sugar. And then pop them in the oven, depending on the size. Little zest, you're gonna go maybe a minute at 350. Bigger zest, bigger chunks. If you wanna do whole slices of lemons, those look very beautiful. Very thinly sliced, both sides of sugar, pop them on parchment paper and bake them for 350, three-ish minutes. Once it's baked, the other thing is don't touch it. Just let it sit. It's sugar, so it's gonna harden up. That's candying. Set it and forget it. Our simple syrup's looking pretty clear now. Still got some sugar floating around there on the bottom. And I'm not looking for a rolling boil as much as I'm just looking for a little bit of bubbling on the sides, little bubbles. This is what we're looking for, coming together. This part where you wanna stir a little more. It's looking very clear now. I don't see any more sugar floating around on the bottom. So I turn my heat off and now we just do the waiting game. Let it cool down a little bit. I just have a home ice cream maker. It's nothing fancy. I picked it up at Salvation Army. Make sure before you do this recipe, you pop your bowl in the freezer. Make sure you have all your parts and they're all clean. So I've made this recipe a couple times. The best way I have ever made it though, I whipped in two egg whites. Towards the end, you just fold them in. It makes everything a little fluffier and lighter. Today we're not gonna do that, but helpful hint, beaten egg whites. You need those high peaks. So now I'm just transferring. Get that hot syrup into a colder pan just to help cool it down a little quicker. It's still really hot. Seems like it just came out of the stove top. So I forgot before I went to cool it that right before you throw it in the cooler, go ahead and add your lemon zest so that heat just gets a little bit of that lemon taste in there. We are gonna add our lemon juice though, so that'll help. Not all the lemon zest. Because when it's churning, 
you just want to add it in. That's when you can tell how much, if it's too much lemon zest, not enough. So I added half because it'll be delicious that way and you'll still get a little color in there. So from our fresh lemons, we got about a cup of lemon juice, which is good. I'm gonna go a little less and use three quarters. Just because we do have that lemon zest in there. So I don't wanna overpower it. Three quarters cup. We're gonna go ahead and just let that cool down. So our simple syrups cooled down. You can tell the bottom of the pan's cool. I'm gonna taste a little bit to make sure it's lemony enough. Yeah, that's got a good zing to it. Not too bitter. I like it. So we got our chilled bowl. Add that lemon in there. And we're just gonna let it churn for about 15 minutes. You can already see on the bowl, it's all frosted. It's doing its job. Pretty much what the ice cream maker is doing is making sure that none of the ice crystals are settling. So you don't get a big batch of just ice or too much lemon, stirring everything in, making it fluffy. When it's done churning, just when it's got a whole bunch of little ice crystals, it's a little thicker, you'll see it in the consistency. Um, I always just watch to make sure there's some flakes in there, some ice flakes. And then you're gonna pop it into preferably a plastic container and leave a little headspace in there because it's gonna expand. And the after you pop it in that container, hour, two hours, and it's done. looking a lot thicker now. I scraped down the sides of the bowl. It's kind of hard to grab that. That means we're heading in the right direction to a beautifully frozen dessert. Put in my container and it turns so well that there are ice chunks but it's still smooth. Should you get some spoons and test it before we freeze it? Sure. Just in case. That's really good. Glad I didn't add that quarter cup of lemon. So now I've got it in my plastic container with space. I'm gonna pop it in the freezer with the right lid. It'll set up in about two hours and be ready to serve with my candied lemon on top and a little lemon zest around the glass. That was a spectacular lemon sorbet, I must say. Oh, I thank you. You know, if you don't have an ice cream machine, you could do, you could take the exact same recipe and you can make a granita. Just spread it out on a sheet pan and hit it with a fork every now and then. And then you can use that granita to top Ketchumac Bay oysters with. Oh, that sounds delicious. So how do you like to glaze your, your cakes? You know, I, I know you were talking to me about um, lemon pound cake or pound cake in general, especially we'll take a glaze. And what do you like to use for that? Well, there are two ways I use a glaze. I use a simple syrup with a little bit of lemon juice in there. Spritz your already done cake. It'll take in all that moisture and have so a So basically bite. an unfrozen sorbet. Oh, yes. Or you could get um, a little more fancy if you want more of like a lemon icing and just powdered sugar, lemon juice, mix that up. 
Maybe a splash of milk if you want it creamy, but I like it just lemon and powdered sugar. Is that going to be the kind of glaze that sets up sort of opaque, you know, that's sort of white? Yeah. And as opposed to the and simple syrup, which is going to be the one that soaks into it? Yep. So you don't get the visual effects, but as soon as you bite into it, you can taste there's something a little, little moist, a little special. We have come to pretty much the end of the hour. Oh, no. I would like to thank my guest, Adrian Huff, for joining me to talk about lemons and to walk us through that amazing lemon sorbet. Yeah, thanks for having me back. We got to go. This has been Check the Pantry. My name is Jeff Lockwood. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It was hosted and engineered today by Jeff Lockwood. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quatuor Eben. This is the fifth episode of the winter 2019 season of Check the Pantry. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this. Thank you.